0: Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good
1: evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, December the 13th, 2021. This is Air Force veteran David Corey. My usual co-host Richard Hurley, uh, unfortunately, can't be with us uh, this evening. Right now, he's literally uh, flying out to California. He's, he's representing some veterans at some hearings. Uh, he'll be out there a few days. Hopefully, he'll be back next week, and will uh, share with us his experiences over the last two weeks when he's been doing a lot of traveling, uh, significantly uh, on the uh, on veteran-related work. We have a very special guest today, Marine Corps veteran Lee Washington, who is currently the president of the County Veterans Service Officer Association of the State of Florida. And he's the director of Neighborhood Services Department for Manatee County, Florida. Uh, Before I introduce him formally, let me remind everyone that this is a call-in show, so grab your pen and paper I'll give you the call-in number. We welcome your comments and your questions. And if you have any questions for our guest, in particular, you can call us uh, during the show at uh, the nationwide call-in number, which is 1-888-627-6008. Again, the nationwide toll-free call-in number is one 888 627 6008. As I say, our guest today is Lee Washington. Lee is a native of Punta Gorda, Florida, and he served on active duty in the United States Marine Corps from 1987 to 1998 as an infantry platoon sergeant. Upon returning to civilian life, he began a career in mortgage banking, holding the positions of sales manager for Bank of America Countryside Home Loans and regional sales manager for Fifth Third Bank. Excuse me. In November of two thousand eight to August of two thousand nine, he worked to help open the Sarasota National Cemetery as a cemetery representative and going on to become a Veterans Services Counselor for Manatee County, Florida. And he was selected to lead the Veterans Division in May of twenty thirteen. Lee Washington is the current president of the County Veterans Service Officer Association of Florida, and he is also the Director of Neighborhood Services Department for Manatee County Government. So let's welcome Lee Washington to the Veterans News Hour. Welcome, Lee, and thank you for being on our show.
2: Good evening, David. It's it's a pleasure being with you this evening.
1: Well, thank you. There's a lot we can discuss this evening, Lee, as far as veteran issues and services. So let me begin by asking you to tell us what exactly County veteran Service Officers do.
2: Well, I think the easiest way to sum it up, uh, David, is, you know, County Veteran Service Offices are the direct link to is residents of the individual counties. Many veterans don't have the access to VA employees at a regional office to go in and get sound advice of how to pursue particular claims, you know, get linked up with benefits and services that they've earned um, in uniform to this country as far as their active duty service. And it really helps these veterans and their families to be able to, to connect with their neighbors because that's truly what we are to them. We live in these communities in which we serve. We're actually county employees, which is very important because many folks think that we're other VA employees and we're not. The tax dollars from these citizens actually pay our salaries. So we're we're heavily invested in making sure that we do the best job with advocating for veterans and their families, linking them with VA health care, you know, walking them through the process of VA disability claims sometimes even some of the discharge upgrades. As we know, a lot of veterans who served during war periods receive some negative discharge documents, and it's our responsibility to help them walk through that process to get that overturned in their favor to either a general or an honorable discharge. So really, that's the bulk of what we do. But I think, if nothing else, being a veteran myself, just having someone to bounce ideas off of or just having an open conversation about what may be available to them, or just a sounding board, you know. Some veterans who are going through some tough times, obviously they may be prescribed some prescriptions. Let's say if they have post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, those types of things. Many folks that many folks think that you know a lot of veterans are just crazy. They need these meds to calm them down. A lot of us veterans, we just need someone to talk to. We don't need anyone to shrink our heads or try to tell us how we're messed up, but just someone to have a conversation with. I mean, that's a lot of us. That's all we truly need. So. Being veterans ourselves, I mean, it's near and dear to our hearts to ensure that we set the right groundwork because at some point our families may be sitting on the other side of that desk asking the same questions that these veterans and families are asking us today.
1: Well, that's a, that's a great overview, Lee, and um, I think it's great how uh, veterans particularly are drawn to to work as veteran service officers. How does um, someone become a veteran service officer, a of VSO?
2: Well, here in the state of Florida, it's Florida statute that you must be an Army discharge active duty veteran who served during a a recognized war period um, or the surviving spouse of one. So, you know, if a veteran um, met those criteria and they've since passed away, their surviving spouse could also be considered for uh, a VSO position. Um, You also have to have, by Florida statute, a two-year degree or at least a high school diploma and four years of experience in the admin field but the thing that you'll see with many counties is that the term VSO gets bounced around a lot you know you'll hear veteran service counselor, veteran service officer, county veteran service officer, we all do the same thing, it doesn't really matter what you call us, I think the most important thing is that county is built in there and that means we're not VA employees, we're actually county employees, that's that's really the stand, stand alone that we have.
1: And does that um, does that distinction where Uh, you're a a county employee and the federal VA obviously part of the federal government the national government um, will veterans be able to count on representation by a county VSO uh, to be sort of an objective advocate uh, when dealing with the federal VA
2: most definitely I think the easiest way for me to explain when I talk to my veterans and their families and and I say that you know me as your advocate not being a VA employee within these four walls you can tell me anything that's on your mind and as your advocate I can't do anything that's going to ever harm you but I can tell you what may be a good path to take and what what's not so uh, good path to take and we just have an open and honest conversation about what's going on in that veteran's life and we just outline a plan going forward to best link them with uh, benefits and services And and I stress benefits and services because you know, you speak to a lot of veterans and they're apprehensive of filing claims because they don't want to be tied to a disability and they don't want to receive money from the, from the government for things that they think that may not rise to that occasion. But, you know, fortunately for us, they go hand in hand. Yeah, we're going to help you file that disability claim. And should monetary benefits come out of it, that's great. What you choose to do with those monetary benefits is totally up to you. But I think the services are more important especially for the family, because the families are actually doing a lot of this heavy lifting for some of us veterans. We're extremely set in our ways and apprehensive of seeking help, but those spouses, those children, and other family members are the ones that persuade us to actually go in and have these open conversations with veteran service counselors so that we can get linked to these services to help our families move forward.
1: Ali, you've mentioned uh, you know that there are many services and benefits, and I know... Uh from dealing with the system that um, there are a lot of somewhat complex statutes and regulations and then internal VA procedures they make it challenging. So could you describe for us the training that's given to a new veteran service officer or veteran service counselor and uh, what is the ongoing or continuing education so they can keep up with with the vast array of, of programs and services and benefits?
2: Oh, wow, that's a mouthful there. I think there's, there's a lot we can definitely discuss with that. But just off the top, um, other than the, the basic requirements that we talked about earlier, the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs here in the state of Florida, I call them our parent organization, but they're the first ones that accredit a service officer once they come on board with a county. You have to go through their certification course uh, set by Florida statute, and you have to annually recertify with the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs to remain in the fold, if you will, or keep your accreditation. And that initial accreditation gives you access to a lot of the VA systems so you can better do your job for veterans and their families. So we have that on the initial side, but continuing education, we as the association, we also hold two, two training conferences throughout the year, one in May and one in October to cover all the different changes within the VA, the different nuances that may have rolled out. And in those training seminars and conferences, we also bring in the DAV regional folks that also have their certification course, because for us, um, you have some veterans who are coming from other states that have worked with other organizations aside from the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs for their representation, and it may be the VFW, the DAV, and VETS a multitude of other organizations that are national that we as veterans we have to gain their accreditation in order to access that particular veteran's file so that we can better advocate for them so if they are only accredited or to say they only have the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs as an advocate and they move from the state of Florida no one outside the state can access that file until they switch that over so having the relationship with the VFW and the DAV to come in at our training conferences to certify us on top of what the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs does, gives us a wider reach uh, to help more veterans and their families. But uh, I would say the, the training overall is, is throughout the year because obviously when you get back to your county offices, that's where the rubber meets the road. Every scenario when, when a veteran walks through that door is gonna be different. You know, you may meet a veteran in the morning that's having housing issues, who has never filed a claim with the VA, also needs health care, Then right after them, you're dealing with the surviving spouse of a veteran who's never filed a claim and not really sure exactly where to go to ensure that they receive the benefits. So, I mean, it's a multitude of things that we see on a daily basis that you have to have training on a regular basis. And here in Manatee County, it's every Wednesday that we hold training just to make sure we're up to speed on everything that's going on within the VA.
1: We're in the middle of you were discussing uh, the training for VSOs, but also the kinds of the variety of cases that a veteran service officer might, might encounter in helping veterans that might come in every day, which kind of leads me to the next question I was going to have for you is, if you could describe for us what's the typical daily routine of a veteran service officer in helping veterans and their families?
2: Well, I would say that most counties, if not all the counties, are set up a little bit different than the others, but I think it's a mix of scheduled appointments, walk-ins, answering phone calls and emails, obviously. And, you know, obviously with with, with COVID being what it is, it's kind of cut back on our outreach. But I would say the daily routine looks like, you know, three to four scheduled appointments where, again, we're coming in, looking at a different scenario each appointment, whether it be a veteran initially engaging the VA for health care, disability, or otherwise, our homeless veteran population, and, of course, our surviving benefits. Uh, Each scenario is going to be different. And, you know, when we're, when we're sitting with those individuals, we schedule those appointments for our blocks, and we don't have any interruptions because we want to make sure that we give that individual all of our attention and we're listening to the things that are being said and things that are being implied. Because I mentioned earlier, we as veterans aren't always forthcoming with all the information. And, and I joke from time to time with veterans when they bring their spouses in because I, I tend to turn to the spouse and I get the real story. Uh, <laughs> veterans, you know, Veterans will tell you just enough to to move on to the next question, but you turn to that spouse, you get the full story, and really that's what we're looking for, so that when we sit with these folks, we're able to answer all their questions, and if we're applying for benefits, we apply for them all at one time, instead of piecemealing things to the VA. Anyone that's dealt with the VA in the past knows that if you piecemeal things, that's exactly what you're going to get back, and it may not always be in your favor, so You know, like I said, schedule appointments typically, but we will see walk-ins because, again, you never know where you're meeting a person. And I mean not just in the office but where they are in their headspace. If there's something that's on their heart that moves them to walk in that door, I'm not going to send them away typically and say, you know, we'll make an appointment or call you back later. There's a reason why they're standing in front of you asking for your assistance. So at a minimum, we'll assess their, their current scenario And if need to, if we need to allocate more time to it, we'll schedule an appointment. That way we're actually dedicated to that individual. But at no time will we ever, you know, turn someone away who needs our assistance. So every day looks a little bit different because every scenario is different. Um, But I think the results are the same, is that you're sitting and listening to uh, the needs of the community. Uh, As far as outreach, you know, we do a lot of outreach to assisted living facilities. For anyone that's ever gone through that process of putting a loved one in an assisted living facility, they sometimes get forgotten once they get, you know, acclimated to being there. You know, family will come and visit them every now and again. But being able to do outreach services to those assisted living facilities and nursing homes, it not only, you know, provides them access to services, but it also gives another individual who may have served in a similar unit. And just conversation for a lot of these older veterans who are aging in place, you know, we really want to do those types of things. We link heavily with the American Legion and the uh, DAV post in the area just to educate those individuals because they also have veteran service officers, if you will, inside the post because a lot of veterans, again, you're sitting around the bar having a drink or two, you're having an open conversation with your buddy, and you're saying, hey, I'm having these ailments, I'm having these concerns, and they're the first link, you know, we're talking about these posts to reroute folks back to our office to officially file documents, so it's, it's one of those things that we try to find ourselves out in the community wherever our residents are.
1: Now, Lee, I know you and I are both in the state of Florida, so this next question is not just for our listeners in Florida, but those that might be uh, that are in other states and not quite as familiar with our great state here in Florida. Could you tell us about the organization and the staffing of a typical county veteran service office here in the state of Florida? I know we've got a pretty diverse state. We've got 67 counties. And, uh, you know, a mix of high-concentration populations, you know, like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, St. Pete, Bradenton, Sarasota. But then we have a lot of rural counties, too. Can you tell us, I know you're, you're the head of the whole state organization. Um, tell us about how a typical county office is set up.
2: Well, at the top of my head, I want to say out of the 67 counties that we have in the state of Florida, 64 of them are staffed. Uh, by a veteran service officer. There are some of the smaller counties up in the panhandle that uh, a county may share, two counties between them because of, you know, budgetary restraints and whatnot, constraints, I should say. Um, But, you know, typically you're going to have one admin individual and you're going to have a manager at a minimum, those two things. And you may, depending on what your budget allows for, one to two veteran service counselors. Now, in larger counties such as Hillsborough, Pinellas, Sarasota-Manatee, you may have a staff of of the manager and three to four veteran service counselors. That way you can actually branch out and reach different areas of the county. Uh, You know, many counties are trying to move away from that centralized approach because, you know, as we grow, the center of the county may not have been what it was 20 years ago. So being able to have smaller satellites around the county is going to allow more individuals to know about your services and reach you in a timely fashion versus trying to navigate some of these downtown corridors uh, that some of these counties have in these glass tower buildings, you want to be in the communities that you're serving. So, you know, I would say, you know, an admin staff member who can actually, you know, answer the phones and schedule appointments and greet individuals as they come, a manager who's running just the face of the office, making sure that the word is getting out to the community and, and the board of county commissioners who make decisions related to budget and that actually line staff that are meeting with, the clientele on a daily basis.
1: I see. Can you tell us, uh, please, about the organization that you now lead, the County Veteran Service Officer Association of Florida? What are uh, some of its key projects and its agenda to help veterans?
2: Well, the uh, County Veteran Service Officer Association of Florida, it's been around uh, formally for about 26, 27 years now, and it encompasses all 67 counties uh, of the state of Florida. We have a solid partnership for the Florida Department of Veteran Affairs. But I will say that, you know, the, the things that are remaining at the forefront for us are pushing veterans advocacy. And I mean that mainly with clarity of the current laws that we have in the state of Florida. There are a couple of Florida statutes that were tweaked over the last few elections, uh, extending some benefits to our surviving spouses that they are not being applied evenly across all the counties only because you're dealing with individuals in some of these property appraisers' offices, board of county commissioners that read the statutes differently than the, you know, the spirit of the law was written. So we're always having conversations with the folks up in Tallahassee, trying to figure out how can we truly remove some of this gray area when it comes to applying some of these Florida statutes that are built or should say been voted into by the, the residents to help our veterans and their surviving spouses. So that's one of the things that we work on on a daily basis. And then on the Veteran uh, Administration side, the federal VA, it's about you know clarity, uh, open access to service. I think one of the things that will always remain important to us, or two things I should say, is that a better working relationship between the Department of uh, Defense and the VA, there should be a smooth transition for, for veterans when they transition out of uniform, uh, whether it be... a a uniform ID card that's issued by DOD outlining the individual served honorably. Uh, There's nothing like carrying around a DD-214 over and over again just to prove your veteran status, even though in the state of Florida you can get veteran on your ID card and other ways you can show it, but it's not a universal sign of active duty, if you will. Um, The other thing when dealing with the VA I think that's very important As I mentioned earlier, you have a lot of veterans who may have engaged the VA for one thing or another, but inside the VA healthcare system, let's say we have a veteran who is being seen by solely the VA for all their illnesses and and, and, um, ailments, but has never filed a claim with the VA. But the VA is the one that diagnosed the veteran with, let's say, lung cancer, uh, diabetes, heart disease, and they're a Vietnam veteran, but the veteran is never given the heads up that, hey, you need to file a claim for this. I think it's very important that if the VA is your sole provider and they diagnose you with these conditions that are presumptive conditions, that should be the date, the effective date of your claim. Whether or not you file for another year or so, but if the VA is the one that's giving you all this information that you need to file, and they don't make you aware that you need to file, I think we need to do a better job in protecting that effective date for veterans.
1: Oh, that's a great idea, and I wish, I wish, uh, I hope the VA is listening, and I think that's a. That's an issue that needs to get um, a lot more publicity because I completely agree with you that the effective date, you know, the VA has this supposed duty to assist. And what better way to show that they're assisting veterans is to tell them up front, you know, when they've been diagnosed uh, about that and to to lock them in with the earliest effective date? That's a great idea. Now, um, Leah, I know that you also worked on some other projects, including to open the Sarasota National. Cemetery. Can you tell us about that project?
2: Well, sure. You know, we all know in the nation in, in the mid to late 2000s with the uh, downturn of the mortgage industry, that's where I came from, as you read from my bio, uh, I needed to, to reinvent myself. So I was still doing some of that part-time, but the Sarasota National Cemetery, which was brought here to the Sarasota area largely by, uh, at the time, uh, Congressman Vern Buchanan, they were hiring veteran cemetery representatives. And it was a part-time gig initially, but we were operating out of a, a small uh, double-wide trailer uh, a few, few miles uh, east of where the current location is. And we were responsible for setting the groundwork for bringing in veterans to be interred as soon as we got the first phase of that cemetery built. So we would meet with families throughout the day, look at all their documentation setting schedules for when we anticipated opening, and we did open January of 2009, and we started to inter, you know, veterans who had passed, you know, they were cremated obviously because they were still uh, in the urns. Families had kept them at home until we were able to open that first phase, but believe it or not, we even had some casket burials at other cemeteries that families disinterred and then moved them closer to the family here in Sarasota. So, our daily grind was just meeting with families and making sure that the eligibility was there, setting up the schedule, and actually sitting with families through those internment ceremonies throughout the day and reassuring them that their loved ones are going to be taken care of in perpetuity going forward. It was just one of those things that was very humbling. Um, to be surrounded by death every day, I didn't think I had it in me to do it, but being able, again, just to sit with families and reassure them that their loved ones would never be forgotten. I mean, it was very rewarding at the end of the day. So I did that for about a year, and, and then towards the end of my tenure there, a position here in Manatee County became more permanent. They posted it. I applied and, and fortunately enough, was brought on board in August of 2009.
1: Wow. I know that's a tough job that you were describing. Um...
2: I, it, yeah, me. it I mean, it, it, it was one of those things that you, you can never be prepared for. I've had families that brought in their loved ones in regular urns. I've seen them bring them in in Jack Daniels bottles. Um, I think that one of the oddest things that I'd seen was, for the first time, seeing families bring in two, two um, containers that they had separated the, the crew mains in. That was very odd for the first time. But, yeah, very rewarding, though.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's it's, uh, I, I found that from when I was on active duty. Uh, I served as a judge advocate, and uh, mm. I would al- often uh, be one of the attorneys that would um, provide legal counseling to uh, the surviving family members, typically a widow whenever there was a death. And I'll tell you what, yeah. I found the military did never really provided enough training for that, I mean, it's a very, it's a difficult, it's a difficult uh, job. I mean, it, it pales—the job itself pales in comparison to what the family's going through, obviously. But it's yeah. a job that requ- it, it, it's a job that requires a certain skill set that that I think most people don't automatically have. You know what I mean in their life experiences. Right. So um, uh, let, let's uh, let's shift gears a bit to because I know you've had a lot of experience in different areas of, of veteran benefits. What do you see are some of the current kind of cutting-edge veteran issues on the minds of VSOs these days?
2: Wow. I don't know if I would call it cutting-edge. I would definitely say some of the things that are always in the forefront of my mind is is the concern of all the new presumptives that come out every other year or so. Right. Um, I've never been one that, that ever thought that, adding new presumptives had more to do with money um, than I did with the most recent change last year with the Blue Water Navy folks. Um, The back and forth that we saw up in Congress with trying to allocate funds appropriately to make sure that we can, you know, ensure these veterans receiving the same benefits as our in-country Vietnam veterans had for years. It was very concerning. So, you know, I'm just concerned that there are more presumptive conditions out there, David, than we actually know about, and they're just being phased in. And I, I will never say, never say that I'm a Debbie Downer, but you hear veterans from time to time to say, well, they're just waiting on me to die, and these things are going to be added. i never wanted to attach myself to that, but it's just concerning to me that, you know, you see so many veterans with the same conditions, and you see them get denied over and over again, and some of them are fortunately overturned at the Board of Veteran Appeals, I'm just concerned that there's going to be a flood of these new presumptives, depending on the administration in charge, um, that are just going to come out, and sometimes it's going to be a little too late for that veteran to be um, recognized or their service be put on record that these things happened to them while they were in uniform and the families having to to pick up the pieces.
1: That's a a great example because we've certainly seen sort of the evolution over many years with the Agent Orange issue for Vietnam veterans and then we've seen, uh, you know, the, the first Gulf War um, veterans with with various issues, and now uh, the the issue of presumptive conditions, um, asthma, rhinitis, sinusitis. As they just added earlier this year, but also the ongoing issue. I think far from being resolved, would be other possible presumptive conditions associated with. Uh, uh, various pollutants like the open-air burn pits and, and those sort of things. So it's, uh, it's a complex area and a lot, of, a lot of moving pieces as far as, you know, that are affecting if the law is going to change. But I agree with you. It's, it's a challenge sometimes also just to, uh, uh, to uh, keep on top of them and, and uh, sort of, again, idea of where things may be going. Now, here's, a, here's sort of a basic question for our listeners benefits how can veterans actually get help from a vso
2: well i mean for us it's easy here in the state of florida we have not only a facebook page we have a dedicated website which is uh, www if i can anyway sure absolutely <laughs> cvsoafl.org it lists Every county representative, you just click on find my representative and it tells you which county in which you reside. It tells you the direct contact, the supervisor's name, their email, and whether or not they have a webpage you can go to. Um, Or they can always just reach out to us uh, and give us a call. You can actually just Google county veteran service officers for that particular county and it will pop up as well. But you definitely want to start at the local level. I said earlier in the onset that You know, not many people have direct access to the VA. I will applaud the VA in many respects because, you know, they're the largest organization when you talk about veterans' benefits, but they don't necessarily make it the easiest to to have a conversation with them. It's more of, you know, filing applications and we'll give you an answer later on. But for those who are listening and those who have friends and neighbors who have not engaged with a veteran service officer, Most most states, uh, not just the state of Florida, has offices similar to ours around the nation, and we're very fortunate to have a national organization that has compiled a list of county veteran service officers as well as state veteran service officers to link families to.
1: Well, Lee, I appreciate that. Before I go to my next question, let me ask you uh, to repeat that website that you that you gave us a moment ago for our listeners. uh, uh, You said it was yes, sir. I'll
2: even spell it out phonetically. So it's going to be www dot C is in Charlie, V is in Victor, S is in Sam, O is in Oscar, A is in Apple, F is in Frank, L is in Lima, dot org.
1: Okay, super. I appreciate that. Okay, um, Nalia, uh, could you tell us about your other job as the director of Neighborhood Services <laughs> Department for Manatee County Government, and also maybe describe a bit uh, for our listeners that may not be in the state of Florida where Manatee is in our great state of Florida.
2: Yes, sir. So Manatee County is on the Gulf Coast of Florida, right between Tampa and Sarasota. Um, it's one of the largest growing counties in the state. Uh, we have about 400,000-plus residents, and it's growing on a daily basis. Everyone wants to be on the Gulf Coast, and the, tax, the taxes are a lot easier to deal with here in Manatee County than it is of our counties to the south and, and the counties to the north. But as the Director of Neighborhood Services, just to give you a little background, Neighborhood Services is a combination of community and neighborhood services. And what does that mean? It encompasses veteran services, county probation, aging services, children's services, all the county libraries, and what we call Neighborhood Connections. Those are individuals who are out in all the different homeowners associations and communities around the county engaging them and making them aware of all the programs and services and, and access points that the county has. And, you know, obviously you have individuals who work in the utilities and the public works, so when you turn your water on and your trash is getting picked up, that's easily seen. Community and neighborhood services are those services that actually touch individuals on a daily basis. So as I mentioned, veteran services, we've already talked about what we do, but in aging services, it covers, you know, Those individuals who need respite care because they're caring for a loved one in their home or need home delivery of of food services or medical care or transportation needs. Children's services, which covers a lot of the grant programs that the county funds for some of the after-school programs, the uh, before-school programs, some of the foster care services that are in our communities. Uh, Probation, pretty straightforward with that. Those who have misdemeanor charges and are... Um, sentence, if you will, to probation or supervised release, that's the daily oversight of those individuals who are working through their legal issues, you know, and, of course, our libraries, our libraries that extend everywhere around our county. We have seven, and they obviously are the institutions of higher learning. For those who are not in colleges or universities around the state, your your local libraries are that point of contact to get that, that additional education. Uh, that additional, you know, contact for research, or just the betterment of our our communities, the enrichment of our communities, um, you know, that that encompasses a part of neighborhood services.
1: Wow, that's that's a very impressive uh, array of of services, and I wish you uh, great success in doing all those things. I'm sure they're a very positive uh, benefit for for uh, County, um, Lee. Let's go back to uh, some veteran issues. Uh, what improvements? Uh, would you like to see in the VA right now? I know the VA does a lot of great things, and I'm not implying to be critical about the VA, but, you know, we're always uh, looking for ways to, to make things better for veterans and their families. What, what are some of your ideas?
2: Well, uh, aside from that mailroom issue that's a bugaboo and has been for the last couple of months. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I think you did a show on that a few weeks back, but, yeah. um, you know, transparency, you know, ease of access, um, I, I can I want to. I want to say training because there's not a whole lot of training that can, be, but not be so rigid in things. You know, I, I understand that there's guidelines that they go by and they are government. But when you're dealing with veterans who already have their, you know, plate full and may not have gotten a fair shake or a proper opportunity to transition out of uniform the way that we'd like to see them. You know, ideally, when a veteran comes off active duty, they should already have their disability claims adjudicated the very next day. That's just how I think. Um, because you, you, you have everything that you need at that particular moment, but all these duty assignments around the world are a little bit different, depending on who's in charge. But I would say, if anything, you know, if they weren't so rigid and, and would open up and give veterans an opportunity to actually share their stories uh, versus from just filling out some paperwork, and let someone who doesn't know you from Adam make a decision on what they see on paper. I think there, sh- there should be more uh, heartfelt approach to it because these individuals are given of themselves. And when we talk about the mental health aspect, you know, we're asking men and women, young men and women, to go and do and see things that no one at that age should be doing. But you know what? Someone has to do it, and they've stepped up to do that. Either they were drafted to do so, or they volunteered of themselves. And we just have to do a better job in giving them the right access so that they can get these benefits and services that are going to help them further their life, better their life, uh, for not only them, but also for their families.
1: Oh, those are great ideas, Lee. And what would be your thoughts on some ways to, uh, to kind of get the VA to be kind of less rigid and also to um, maybe get a better appreciation of, uh, of the veterans that they're there to, uh, to help and to serve. You know, like you said, they might be 21, 22 years old. They've served uh, three or four years in the service. They might have served a deployment or two over in Iraq and Afghanistan. They came back, and now they're making what is, for some veterans, a, a very difficult transition, particularly if they spent their last year in combat. They're suddenly back home, you know, back in their, their, their hometown, looking for a job, suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress, uh, maybe some physical problems, and they've just lost, uh, you know, all their buddies. And I've heard many veterans say, boy, they wish they'd they'd go back in a heartbeat, which I always thought, you know, is a surprising thing. I think it surprises other people to hear that, too. Uh, After everything they've gone through, they would feel more at home being back over there in a war zone than being back at home. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of some ideas based on what you said, and I want to get your ideas on how can the VA maybe do a better job to connect to uh, to those veterans. I know um, b- before COVID, the St. Pete Regional Office you, over in Bay Pine, St. Pete, they'd have this um, this uh, stand down day, mostly targeting mm-hmm. homeless veterans, you know, and they'd have right. a full range of services. They'd even have the local county. Court. They'd have uh, judges from the local court there to hold like um, special court sessions, uh, you know, in in an office building because a lot of veterans would find you know to get themselves in legal trouble, and they'd find that um, that perhaps uh, something about the sentence, maybe a fine they owed or some other obligation, was keeping them from um, from getting a job, for instance, or somehow affecting their life. Yeah. I mean. Uh, uh, I always was impressed with the standout thing. You know, it's, it's a time for the VA really to see the, the people face-to-face or helping. But want to get your thoughts. And I know at the community level, the county level that you described, that's really a first point of contact, you know, that we're and, – and being veterans um, themselves, the, the counselors or the service officers uh, can better relate. want to get your, your other thoughts on, on that. How can the VA better connect?
2: Well, you know, you touched on a few things there. Those stand-down courts or amnesty courts that you would see at these stand-downs, I mean, they were phenomenal. They would allow a veteran to, you know, re-engage with society because a lot of them hid out. They didn't engage with many folks because they were concerned about a past traffic fine or trespassing fine if they were homeless or something just, you know, out of the ordinary that was simple in the beginning but just, you know, manifested in this large animal that they just couldn't overcome without assistance, you know. But I would say, if anything, I, w- I would like to call it no wrong lane, meaning that the VA does a great job of partnering with communities with a lot of uh, uh, grants, if you will, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars throughout the nation. And I think if, if, you're, if you are engaged with all the higher-level um, institution of learning, such as the college and universities with these veterans who are filing, you know, Chapter 33 and, and GI Bill benefits for them to go back to school, you had said earlier in this question and you have veterans who are coming out of active duty. I mean, they're acclimating to become parents again. they got these injuries. They're trying to go to school, trying to figure out where they're going to live, where they're going to work. Which do you tackle first? So if you're, if you're already giving millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, to these universities and colleges to help veterans further their education, if you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars to these um, private organizations, not for profit organizations, I should say, to help veterans uh, tackle homelessness, uh, to help the states reach out. You know, you're doing a lot of campaigns with the NFL, the MLB, and things like that. I would say no wrong lane. However, you come across that veteran and they express their need, that should be the date in which their benefits are effective. You might remember, Dave, many a moon ago, a veteran could send in, I need help. Um, for my back on the back of an envelope. That would be considered a claim. Right. But over, right. over, over time, VA has chipped away at that and has is, and is, and is caused it to have a standard form for everything. So a veteran in need who is unaware how the process works sends in what they believe to be the best document to express their need. The VA says, no, you need to fill it out in the proper form. Here's the form you need to do it. But here's the problem with that. Well, because you've got a mailroom issue, the veteran never gets it, or they get it four or five months after the fact. So right. instead of doing your best to, you know, start processing that claim because you have the basic information on the veteran, you have all the resources that the federal government at your fingertips to actually locate and identify the veteran for everything that you need. Instead of doing that, we've gone to standard forms, and if you don't f- fill it out on the standard form, we can't help you. You know, right. I think that's what we really need to be focused on, how to better – engage and and locate these veterans to a system because they're asking for assistance for a reason.
1: Right, it should not be adversarial. And and, exactly. and it, they should not have to get to the point where they're so frustrated that they even turn to a lawyer. You know, that really yep. that, that's my view and I am a lawyer, but you know by profession. <laughs> but but, yep. but I say that because it's not supposed to be an adversarial system and I think the example you gave where you know years ago if someone just wrote in a letter the, the VA had to consider that um, you know, as, as a claim, or at least as an initial claim. And now, particularly uh, from about 2017 onwards, when they did the so-called Appeal Modernization Act, and it took them you mm-hmm. know, a year and a half to sort of implement it, but I'm, I'm seeing, um, even within the VA, contradictions, and what I guess is sort of reflecting confusion, even among VA offices, as far as uh, some of these forms and and like you say, when you when you add to it uh, the the problem of mail not getting dispatched for a couple months, uh, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's becoming more adversarial. Where you have where the where the veterans, if they don't cross their T's and dot their I's a certain way, uh, you know, and read all the fine print, which they should not have to do. Uh, they're going to get burned you know and they're yeah. going to they they may only find about that find out that they've been burned 2 or 3 years later when when some board of veteran appeals judge says oh but you didn't file the right form or you filed it at the wrong time and um we can't consider that evidence because it wasn't submitted at the right time you know all that sort of nonsense and uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know so yeah i think that they need to they need to um get back to uh you know their their real focus and the people that they're there to serve, and I think it does require, um, you know, input from the county VSOs because they're on the front lines, you know. So I think that, uh, as well as the other organizations that you that you mentioned. Uh, so there's yeah, a I lot. mean, it's
2: it's every day. I mean, you you've been at this for a while. I mean, we've always complained about the V.A. mail issue, uh, veterans not receiving things and V.A. making decisions based off that. It's not until now that there truly is evidence to show that it is a V.A. problem, whether it be a vendor or otherwise. We've been screaming from the rooftops for years about this because we obviously know, if you've ever dealt with the V.A., I should say, you know, the date of that letter is not the date it went from the mail room. It's the date that someone sent it down to be mailed. So there, there is a seven to ten day gap on the average before it even leaves the building, you know, let alone when a veteran actually receives it. But you know the funny thing, David, is that now with the cost of living increase that's been put in, effective December 1st, the VA sent out letters the second week of November, dated December 1st, telling veterans who receive pension, those who, who need it the most, they're low income or they have long-term care in place, that, hey, we noticed that your Social Security amount is higher than what we were accounting last year. Well, not really because it's not effective until the 1st of December, oh, but no. you're sending this out the second week of November with December 1st date on it, and they got those right away. It's the craziest thing. So, yeah. you know, we we really have to do a better job in pressuring our decision makers up in D.C. Uh, to make them take a hard look at what VA has got going on so they can tighten up that ship just a little bit more.
1: I agree, and it's always, like everything else, just ongoing process and – uh there's a lot, lot to do on that. So, uh, Lee, uh, before we go, uh, just want to um, uh, end with more of an open-ended question. Anything that I've uh, not asked you that you'd like to uh, uh, to to add for our for the benefit of our listeners, and also perhaps uh, if you could uh, also provide uh, one more time any central contact information for our listeners uh, to get help.
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, the questions you've asked me this evening, the dialogue that we had, they are are great questions, and I I think we shared a lot of information to your listening audience that that may not know it. Um, But I would always say that, you know, it's never too late to reach out to a veteran service officer to have that conversation with them about your military service specific to you, specific to your family and your family's needs. Because even though it may not be a VA benefit that you're seeking, it may be a community benefit, or just making that office aware of who you are in the community, because that's really what we're doing, is linking excuse me, our, our residents to services and programs, but we're making a personal connection because these are our neighbors, uh, family and friend members, that we see them in the supermarket every day. You know, we, we as veterans, we take a lot of things seriously, but when we're advocating for one another, you can't get uh, more tight of a bond than that. You know, you mentioned before that, young men and women are finding it a lot easier to be back in uniform than it is walking around in the streets in which they grew up. That's because there's no closer bond than that of serving in uniform. I mean, you're finding people from all walks of life, all different races, colors, creeds, religion, what have you, but what is consistent is that flag in which they represent. You know, at the end of the day, can I count on this person to my left and my right to watch my back when the rounds start going down range? And, and, And if nothing else, if you're able to engage with your local representative, you will find there's a multitude of programs out there just, you know, it may just be something as simple as a conversation group, a men's coffee group, or, or a women veterans group, um, That that's what you're really trying to link. And I will say if something else to dovetail off of that, our women veterans are very underrepresented when it comes to veterans' benefits, and I have yet... And nearly my 13 years of doing this, trying to figure out exactly what it's going to take to get more of them into the fold, it it just bothers me to no end that we come across a lot of our women veterans when something has bad happened to them, and and that's the wrong time. We have to do a better job in locating them in our communities and lifting them up and ensuring that their service is just as equal as their male counterparts. That's
1: a great point. Yeah.
2: And and as far as the contact information, again, our our website for the state organization, which you can find all your local contacts, would be www.C as in Charlie, D as in Victor, F as in Sam, O as in Oscar, A as in Apple, F as in Frank, L as in Lima.org. Check out the things that are in the news. Click on the link that says find your representative, and it tells you by county exactly who your point of contact is in your community.
1: Well, thank you. Lee Washington, for all this great information, I really appreciate you being with us, and uh, and uh, we wish you continued success uh, not only in your, your your role as the president of the County Veterans uh, Service Officer Association of Florida, but also as the director of Neighborhood Services uh, for Manatee County. I know you have, you must have a lot on your plate, a lot of very important programs for the community as well as for veterans. So I wish you the very best. Also, like to invite you back on the show sometime in the future. Uh, when you have the time, keep us updated on uh, the many services, projects, and achievements uh, of, of your organization.
2: David, we will always make ourselves available for you and your in your your uh, your show and, and all your listeners for sure. And thanks I appreciate so hot, Lee. the opportunity to hear Thank thank you
1: thank you again. Have a great rest of the week.
2: You too, sir. Good evening. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Well, thanks again uh, to Lee Washington uh, for being our guest on this show and. Uh, uh, we'll have this, uh, this show uh, as a recorded uh, archive podcast uh, up on our website on bbsradio.com uh, within a few days, uh, and uh, feel free to share this with, uh, with other veterans and family members that you know that may not have been able to tune in tonight. I just got uh, two quick items of, uh, of news before we run out of time tonight, uh, and the first is Uh, passing on information from the National Veterans Legal Services Program. Their website is nvlsp.org. They want veterans and their families to know that it has a new, dedicated Burn Pits Claim Assistance Program, what they call the Burn Pits CAP, Claims Assistance Program. This program uh, marks a major expansion of the free legal representation that NVLSP has provided to veterans and their survivors Uh, over the last 40 years and as the name of this program suggests it deals with burn pit exposure issues, veterans that were exposed to toxic emissions from these open-air burn pits that were commonly used in Iraq and Afghanistan and other overseas locations and the burn pits uh, claims assistance program will help veterans by representing them or their surviving family members on claims for disability benefits before the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Again, Website uh, is nvlsp.org for the National Veterans Legal Services Program. It's an outstanding uh, organization, and uh, they have a solid track record over the last 40 years of defending uh, defending the rights of veterans um, on many issues, and particularly by handling the most complex issues and in the form of class action lawsuits, which are the most effective ways to help, uh, you know, the whole span of all the entirety of uh, the veteran population rather than just fighting each case one veteran at a time. So, again, encourage you to check out uh, their website, nvlsp.org. Uh, and the other uh, item of news that we have uh, is uh, the segment that uh, Richard Hurley and I uh, repeat frequently because we view it, it's, its importance to be pretty significant. And that is that the VA has a program they call Coaching into Care. It helps veterans who are having difficulty making that sometimes tr- tough transition from, from active duty life back to civilian life. Uh, returning home can be a tough adjustment, particularly if they are returning from a combat uh, duty. And loved ones can certainly help. Coaching into Care program offers free coaching to help you, the family member, help your veteran. So give the program a call. They have a toll-free nationwide number. It's 1-888-823-7458. Again, the VA's Coaching into Care program, toll-free number, 1-888-823-7458. Its hours are Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Now. This program is different from the veterans' crisis line, which is 24-7. And I want to remind our listeners about that um, excellent program. If you know of a veteran who's, who's in a crisis of any kind, obviously includes a veteran who's suicidal, but if they're in a crisis of any kind, uh, the VA has the veterans' crisis line to help, and the veterans' crisis line number is 1-800-273-8255 and then press 1 for the Veterans Crisis Line. Uh, tragically, many veterans have committed suicide because they didn't get the help they need, so help them get the care they need uh, to cope with their with their problems. Again, the, crisis line, the Veterans Crisis Line is 1-800-273-8255, and press 1. Well, it's time for us to go. For this evening, I'd like to thank you all for listening to the Veterans News Hour here on bbsradio.com, Station 1. I'd like to thank our producer, BBS radio, Mr. Doug Newsome, and again, thank our special guest, Marine Corps Veteran Lee Washington, the president of the County Veterans Service Officer Association of Florida. Please tune in next week, same time, same station, for another edition of the Veterans News Hour. Until then, stay safe and stay healthy and have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.